Hi friends, how you doing? Fellow sojourners in the word and in the truth. It's great to be back with you today and hope we have some really good fellowship together today. You know, there's a lot of times in church or talking with other believers or listening to the radio or some other way, but I often hear the phrase, God fights our battles or the Lord fights our battles. That's great, and it's very comforting. But I've often wondered if that's always true. Not that I doubt the Bible, but hear me out for a second, okay? What, it, what does it really mean? And if it means what we perceive or believe it to mean. Don't get me wrong, okay? Just like God has and does and will heal, even though sometimes we get those verses wrong too. Um, and he will heal us of our infirmities. And not always, but he does indeed also fight our battles for us a lot of times, but we should want to, and we need to understand that, that catchphrase rightly. Also, I or we don't want to understand or misunderstand what it means according to our, our circumstances, right? I mean, truth isn't dependent upon our circumstances. It's really just the opposite most of the time. But in other words, let's not allow our situations and our and their outcomes to define for us what their collective meaning is, what the truth of that phrase is. Let's look at the words and their collective meaning, as I said, by what the, the Lord of hosts means when he uses it, when he says it. Then we'll have a proper understanding of it. To say it another way, if we take a truth of God and we misapply it or we misunderstand it because it seems to sometimes work, for lack of a better word, and at other times not, situationally, subjectively, whatever, okay, then we're left confused about the truth and about the very character of God that can't be a good thing, right? Okay, but we all probably do that with the Lord a lot more often than we think or that we realize. So let's once again, let's let's rely on and look to the Bible, the very words, okay, of the one and only eternal God to get some clarification on a phrase we put a lot of faith in and a lot of trust in. Now I'm diving in with you. So let's be taught together. Now, there are a couple of passages that immediately come to my mind that do bear out us being either, uh, what should I say, mere onlookers or light participants in the battle. Okay, That's for those of us that have the present understanding that when the Lord says the Lord fights our battles in Scripture, there's little to no work for us to do. I don't know if you feel that way. That's kind of what I would feel when I heard that word, or maybe sometimes even said it myself. I would think the Lord fights our battles. Well, if he fights it, then I don't have to fight it. Wonderful. Okay, we usually look to Moses' example. The Israelites put their backs up against the wall of the Red Sea when Pharaoh comes chasing after him just after he let him go. The Lord fights our battles. The Lord told Moses, stand back and do nothing. See the salvation of the Lord. Okay, so it's normal for us to think if the Lord fights our battles, we don't have to fight our battles. Okay, but that's not necessarily true. 
And that's why the Lord has us looking at this today. Okay. When those cases are true, even though they're probably rare, okay, praise the Lord for times like these. Okay. I'm going to be the first one to say, great. The first one is when the Israelites, like I just mentioned, had fled Egypt by the grace and mighty power of God, but whose backs were now seemingly, like I said, up against the wall of the Red Sea with nowhere to go. And now Pharaoh's army is chasing them down, freaking out, as we probably would, okay? They see no way to win this battle. But just before the Lord God parts the Red Sea, for them to walk through on dry land to safety, as per God's promise to them. And he's faithful. And just moments before that same sea comes crashing back down on Pharaoh and his mighty army, God does and see, and God does indeed fight their battle. Okay, in Exodus 14, 13, it says, And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. In this case, they didn't have to do anything but trust and watch. The Lord Almighty took care of everything. The other passage I want to mention that came to my mind, okay, is in Joshua chapter 6, and the setting is in Jericho. God the Father had just sent, had sent the commander of his army, an angel, as a messenger to speak to Joshua about battling against the fortified city, which is Jericho. That's the end of chapter 5. So the beginning of chapter 6, verses 1 through 5, give us the instructions from the Lord God to Joshua and the Israelites, their soldiers, their fighting men, saying this, Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside. That means it was enclosed. It was fortified. Nobody could get in. Nobody could get out because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city all the men of war going around the city once. Thus shall you do for six days. Seven in the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets, and when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a loud and great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people the Israelites shall go up, everyone straight before him. So the Lord gave them the victory. But were the priests, Joshua and the mighty men of valor, the soldiers, merely onlookers or inactive spectators? No. The Lord required them to be active, to participate in the battle. He, in fact, gave them very specific instructions through the angel and what they were to do. Okay, He gave them the victory. Yes, the battle belonged to the Lord. As far as him being sovereign and all-powerful and assuring his people of a triumphant outcome. But our perception of the Lord fights our battles, as far as this account relates, shouldn't be 
the Lord fights my battle so I don't have to do anything. It isn't right. Not only did he require something of them, but he sent the, the very commander of his angelic army to give them very specific instructions. Gave them to Joshua and for Joshua and for the Israelite army. So we're to be engaged in the battle. We're supposed to do something. There's something required of us. Okay. Another example is found in 1 Samuel chapter 30, verses 1 through 15 and some of the following verses. It tells of how King David and his army, all their wives, all their children, were taken captive by the Amalekites who had made a raid of the area where they were. David trusted in the Lord his God with all his heart, as he always did, and he was a warrior whose hands had been trained for battle by God himself, and he was a king by God's own choosing. But David was wise, not foolish or hasty. Verse 8 says, And David inquired of the Lord, Shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? And God answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake and shall surely rescue. David could have taken matters into his own hands, but he inquired of the Lord to find out if the battle belonged to the Lord, if the Lord would fight his battle for him, and the Lord told him yes. David knew that the, the, that the battle, if successful, belonged to the Lord, but there was no question that he and his men were going to participate in every battle they faced, as we sometimes believe and perceive, belonged solely to the Lord, okay? If that's the case, then why have an army at all? If it was only God to do the work, then why even have an army? What I take away from this is that instead of saying the Lord fights our battles and we taking it as we have nothing to do, okay, we should say, I'm not changing the word of the Lord, but I'm trying to, 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 to alter it to the fact that you can take away the, the right meaning, which I'm sure the Israelites understood very easily when they were given these instructions. And when they used that phrase. But we today don't see it that way. We look at it as the Lord fights our battles, so we don't have to do anything. And that's great because we're lazy and complacent and casual in America because we have everything we need. So if God's going to fight our battles, we naturally assume there's nothing for us to do. But that's wrong. So let's stop thinking that way. And that's why God wants to address this today. Okay? We should say or think the Lord gives us the victory. Both are true if and when the Lord tells us, like he did with David, to pursue or fight or trust. But there's quite a difference between thinking the Lord Jesus is going to do it all for us while all we do is watch versus knowing he has given us a favorable outcome ahead of time, trusting him in that and acting in faith at his command and achieving that victory. A commander knows the path to victory and success. He lays out that strategy for his soldiers to follow, orders them to carry out his orders, they obey, they engage the enemy in person or in circumstance, and they win. Okay, The walls of Jericho fell for Joshua when he heard and acted. The same thing happened to David when his men, with his men. Let's finish the story. 
to find out how interestingly it was carried out, and this time by an act of kindness. Okay. Jesus' strategy, Jesus' strategy, not ours, to win the battle in this case is not inconsistent with his character. Okay, verses 11 through 15 say this. They found an Egyptian in the open country and brought him to David. And they gave him bread, and he ate. They gave him water to drink. And they gave him a piece of a cake of figs and two clusters of raisins. And when he had eaten, his spirit revived. For he had not eaten any bread or drunk any water for three days and three nights. And David said to him, To whom do you belong? And where are you from? And he said, I'm a young man of Egypt, servant to an Amalekite, which was their enemy. And my master left me behind because I fell sick three days ago. We had made a raid against the Negev, on the, uh, uh, the Negev of the Cherethites and against that which belongs to Judah and against the Negev, Negev of Caleb. And we burned Ziklag with fire. And David said to him, Will you take me down to this band of men? And he said, Swear to me by God that you will not kill me or deliver me into the hands of my master, and then I'll take you down to this band of men. And then verses 18 and 19 reveal the victory, saying, David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken, and David rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing, whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that had been taken. David brought back all. Again, the Lord fought their battle, okay, gave them the victory, and David and his army were participants. They didn't simply observe. Sometimes, when I'm weary, or frustrated, or even fearful, I ask the Lord, but not in so many words, but I ask him to fight my battle for me by bringing about a desired or even biblical goal. Okay, sometimes he does because he's gracious and because my efforts fail. Oftentimes he lets me know there's something required on my part. He's, he's not at my beck and call, but I am at his, and so are you. He gives me what I need to be successful, and he secures the victory. But I'm the soldier, and I'm the servant, and so are you. The same is true even in the New Testament. Do you remember the book of James, chapter 4, verse 7? It says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Not only is Satan definitely our enemy, but the Bible tells the believer he will flee from us. That's a huge victory in the battles we wage. he wages against us. But take notice that the Lord says there are two things he requires of us. One, submit to God. We've got to do that. And two, resist or stand firm against the devil. We submit to the authority of the Lord of hosts, our commander, by obeying him and following his commands. And 
we fight against his enemy. We're not passive or we would get crushed. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 6 tells us to put on the full armor of God. Paul is comparing a spiritual battle with a natural one and pairs spiritual weapons with recognizable earthly ones. He's showing us very plainly and obviously that we have battles. We have weapons to use at our disposal to be successful and that we, having weapons, are to use them, right? This means we are active participants, not casual onlookers. Almighty God gives us and secures the victory for us, but we've got to engage and defeat our enemy, or enemies, plural, in the battles, skirmishes, and wars. We must not only fight, but endure. Verse 13 says, Therefore, take up, which means put on and use, the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand firm. Okay, Paul telling us, is telling us to one, put on and use the armor so that you can combat, fight, resist, hold out against, stand up to, confront, whatever you want to call it, all synonyms for the word withstand. Okay, so you've got one, put on and use the armor. Two, why? So we can combat, fight, stand up against, withstand the enemy. And three, once we've done all this, to stand firm, not to retreat, but to stand firm, to be immovable, okay, to not be shaken, to maintain your position and your ground, to persevere, not to retreat, and to endure. These are tiring words to me. But just as Jesus was right there in the heat of the very real fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego we talked about recently, just as he promises never to leave or forsake us, just as he assures that when we are weak and vulnerable, his strength is made perfect, he is and will be with us, especially as it says in Psalms 46, 1. It says, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in times of trouble. When Jeremiah needed help and companionship, the Lord sent him Baruch. When the Bible tells us that Moses raised his hands up in the air, his arms up in the air, and to keep them raised to ensure Israel's victory in the battle, the Lord instructed Aaron and her, H-U-R, to hold his arms up and his hands up when he grew tired. The father gave Eve to Adam as a helper. All of these things and people are, are tools, in a sense, that the Lord provides us to help us, to comfort us, to walk beside us, to support and encourage us. But we should not mistakenly make idols out of them by forgetting that God Almighty is the source. King David said in Psalm 121, verses 1 and 2, he said, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. We gotta, we gotta look at that. We gotta, we gotta trust in that. 
Okay, the Hebrew word for fight is lakam. Again, if you want to look it up, it's a Hebrew word. It's number 3898A in the concordance. And it means to, to write, excuse me, to fight, to, to make war, to wage war. Okay, and, and to overcome. And that last word, overcome, is of particular importance for several reasons. Firstly, because it's associated with triumph and victory, not defeat or loss. Secondly, because Jesus described himself to his disciples in this way. He said, I have these things, said, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world, you're going to have tribulation or battles, but take heart. I have overcome the world. That's in John 16, 33, the great verse. Thirdly, Jesus said, I have overcome. Okay, he leads us in battle. Okay, he ensures our victory. He led the Israelites in a pillar of a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. He is the king who gives us strength and courage in war. He's the king whom we follow across the plains and on the heights and in the valleys. In 1 Samuel 14, verses 47 and 48, the Bible shows us how Saul, Israel's very first king, not only led them in their battles, but fought with them. Okay, These verses say, when Saul had taken the kingship over Israel, he fought against his enemies on every side, against Moab, against the Ammonites, against Edom, against the kings of Zobah, and against the Philistines. Wherever he turned, he routed them, and he did valiantly, and struck the Amalekites, and delivered Israel out of the hands of those who plundered them. Okay, Saul led them. Saul was their king. Saul waged war. Saul fought with them, his people, and for them. And Saul was victorious. And his mighty men of valor followed him. They obeyed his commands, fought for him, and shared in his triumph. David was Israel's second king. And the Bible says in Psalm 18:34, he trains, speaking in David speaking of God, he trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. Again in Psalm 144, 1, he said, Blessed be the Lord my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. Okay, he trained King David for battle, to be king, to be a leader over all of Israel, to go into battle with and head of his people, not to fight alone for them, but to bolster them to lead them, to rally them, to give them courage, and to earn their respect, okay? Their admiration, their loyalty, their commitment and faith in him. Our King Jesus Christ so much more, okay? He never leaves us or forsakes us, okay? He does fight with us and for us, but he is the Lord of hosts, the Lord of angel armies is what that means, and we are his servants, okay? We fight. We engage. We have victory because of him. We pray. We don't go out without him. That would be arrogant and foolish and disastrous. He does not go without us. We are his servants. We are his people. He is our God. We follow him, right? Now, I was ready to stop there. 
But then I found this scripture. And I hope you see, like I did, that not only does it lie at the very heart of the matter we're talking about, but you can't at all ignore it once you see it. The Lord has this to say through the mouth of a man named Jehaziel. I never heard of him either. And we should listen to him. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verses 13 through 17, God says this through him. Jehaziel says, well, excuse me, before he says anything, okay? It says, meanwhile, all Judah, all Judah, that means everybody, stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their older children. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, son of Jael, son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, in the midst of the entire assembly. And Jehaziel said, Listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. So he's saying, everybody, not just the people, not just the inhabitants of Jerusalem, but even the king, pay attention. Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde. That means a ton of soldiers. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Farewell. You will not need to fight in this battle. There it is again. Stand firm. Hold your position and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them and the Lord will be with you. Okay, this was like, to me, a whole bunch of contradictions. And I couldn't make any sense of it. And I, of course, had to pray about it and I had to ask the Lord, I trust you and I know what you're saying prior to now, and I know this isn't going to contradict that, but it sure looks that way. So tell us what it means. I mean, look at this, okay? Let's pray first, okay? Like I did. Lord Jesus, we, we want to understand your words and your truth. We trust you because you're faithful. Please explain what seem like contradictory phrases to us. Verse 15 says, the battle is yours, not ours. Immediately after, in verse 16, you tell us to go down against them and they will come up against us. Not only do these not make any sense, but right after that verse, in 17, it says that we will not need to fight in this battle, which you said before, but then you said, okay, then again, in the next sentence, it tells them and us, Jesus, to go out against them. What does this mean, O oh Lord? Please clarify your commands. It says, the battle is yours. It's not yours. It's God's. Excuse me. It says, the battle is not yours. It's God's. And you're thinking, great. Then it says, go down against them. And they will come up against you. Okay. Then it says, you will not need to fight this battle again. And then it says, hold your position again. And then it says, go out against them. It's like back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. You're not a God of confusion. 
please help us understand and obey. Thank you, Jesus. As I pray for the wisdom and the revelation and insight that we obviously need from the Lord in order to understand what looks and sounds and feels like an enigma, as I listen and reread these seemingly opposing and inconsistent statements and commands, I see again the phrase in verse 15, the battle is not yours, but God's. This reminds me, this reminds me, thank you, Jesus, of a New Testament verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 6 and 7. You've probably heard it before. Paul is saying, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Now, one particular day, I think it was back in 2012, I was, I was taunted and harassed, literally, in my mind over an issue. I think it was Satan was sending a demon to just really bug the crap out of me. I was feeling awful because it was, I was at work and everything. It was, it was, um, it was about evangelism, like I wasn't doing enough to share the word or something. It was so bad on that day that when we had a break, I called my pastor, my mentor, and my friend and asked him for a truth or word to help me. I felt horrible. I can remember it just like it was yesterday. Though he is and he was a great man of God, still is, whatever he said that day didn't help. I was feeling so bad, I don't know anybody could have helped me, okay? But after we hung up and in the distress and in the, the turmoil, all my anxiety and the distress of my mind and my heart, the gracious Lord Jesus led me to that verse we just mentioned in 1 Corinthians, Corinthians 3, 6, and 7. But he changed the wording, okay, just enough so that the truth was still there. The principle was still the same, okay? And the, and the truth and the, everything was, was just sound and secure. Nothing was morphed or changed or, or, or written into something else that it didn't mean, okay? But he spoke to me very, very personally, okay? And he did it by addressing the root of my anguish, which at the time, I didn't even know, but he did, okay? And he spoke to me, like I said, very, very personally. So he respoke that, that verse again. I was looking it up in my Bible this time. I had it with me. And he said this. Notice the change. At the beginning it said, I planted, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Okay, but this was what he did for me, very, very personally. He said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God was responsible for the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters does anything, but only God who is responsible for the growth. And I was like, oh my gosh, it was fantastic. I remember this huge burden being laid off of me. And I remember just being so thankful to the Lord because what he did was he knew that, 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 that I felt like I needed to evangelize more. 
and or, or share the word or something that I had done more before in this particular season. I wasn't doing it as much or whatever. And Satan was trying to make me feel awful. Okay, so he nagged at me and got to the point where I was just, oh, I can't take this anymore. I felt like I was ready to pull my hair out inside my heart. And I was like, what's going on? What's going on? What's going on? How do I get, how do I get feeling better? How do I get rid of this, this turmoil, this anxiety, this, this awful feeling? And so God knew that the reason that I felt that way and the reason that Satan was attacking me and the strategy that Satan was using when he sent out his demon against me because he doesn't do anything himself, okay? He, he knew he could get to me through making me feel responsible, personally liable for whatever lie he was telling me, which in this case was not sharing the word enough, okay? So it ate me alive. And so when God took that verse, he changed it from God is, 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 is the one who gives the growth. He changed it to God is responsible for the growth. So he didn't change the meaning at all. He just told me personally that I wasn't responsible for the growth. I needed to do it. I needed to get involved in the battle. I needed to engage. Yes, but he was going to give me the victory by telling me not only is it going to work because it's a lie that he's telling you. But number two, I am going to do this because my word doesn't go out void. But number three, you are not responsible the outcome you just share the word you just disciple people you just share your testimony you do that but it's me who's going to work on their hearts so when you stop realizing the lie that you're responsible for it because you're not you can't do that only i know their hearts only i can do those kinds of things and it set me free and it shut the enemy right up and I, and, 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 I, and i did it i submitted to god and i stood firm and i resisted the enemy and he fleed it was fantastic so like Paul and Apollos had the water, but Jesus is the one who's responsible for and makes the word grow. So we too have to confront and engage and speak truth and let our light shine in order to fight the battle. It's Jesus who makes and is responsible for us having the victory. Okay, he's not telling us to avoid the battle, the difficult circumstances the pessimistic or unbelieving world around us. We're commanded to go down and engage them. But when he says the battle is not ours, he's saying the victory and the outcome is. It's in his hands, okay? Just as the planting of the word of the truth and the gospel, along with the watering of faith, are a process leading to eventual salvation. And often takes time. So also does a victory in a battle rarely get achieved in an hour or even a day. Just as we know, we know, and therefore we trust that his word that goes out will not return to him void, but will eventually, sooner or later, accomplish that which he sends it out to do. And that's a victory. We need to now realize, trust, and know that we are all called to engage in the battle, not be mere passive spectators or onlookers, and that he, he is responsible for assuring the victory for us to his glory and for the world to know that there is a God in Israel. He's the authority, the sovereign commander, and we're his soldiers and servants. Okay, he defines and he develops 
his perfect strategy. He gives us his order. We obey. We do what we're given to do. He makes us triumphant. This is the truth. This is his character. This is scripturally consistent with his nature. And this is what he's saying. And one last very important part of their success, which definitely does not need to be overlooked, is found in the same 20th chapter of Second Chronicles, but a little further down in verses 21 and 22. And it says, and when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire. But he says this, sing to the Lord and praise him. Number one, as they went before the army of the enemy, number speaks to us when we listen. He gives us the victory. He tells us to go down and what to do. We go do it and we trust him and we get the victory. Amen. God bless you and whatever you're fighting against. Like the past few days have been horrible for me, unlike times that I can remember. And in the days ahead when something like this might come your way. Keep it close by. Remember it. May the Holy Spirit give this word again to you at the right time. His word, his truth, his battle that you're engaged in. He assures the victory. Praise God.